This episode of the On-Premise IT Roundtable Podcast is brought to you by NetApp. Welcome to the On-Premise IT Roundtable Podcast, the only show that dares to be both on-topic and on-location, or on-premise and on-premises. Each time we meet, we bring together a group of IT luminaries to discuss a single concept. In this episode, we're talking about the cloud. Frankly, the cloud's just a dream. It can never be achieved. We'll never get there. None of this stuff is going to happen. And I don't mean that it doesn't exist. I just mean that the promises cannot be achieved. Before we begin, let's meet who's in this discussion. I'm Jon Systemosom, CTO at NetApp. I'm Gina Rosenthal, I'm the founder of Digital Sunshine Solutions. I'm Bobby Allen, CTO for Cloud Genera. So the question is, you know, we know that the cloud is a real thing. We know that there's this thing called the cloud. In fact, there are a few things called the cloud. Mm-hmm. Each of these clouds is remarkably different. Um, each one has different capabilities, different features, different functions. And enterprises, which is my background, are looking at this and I think they're kind of scratching their heads and they're saying, how are we going to use that? How are we going to really make use of this thing when it's just totally different animals? I made mm-hmm. the example uh, in our discussion earlier. It's like, you know, are you going to design a wagon that can hitch up to a horse, a zebra and a dolphin? Mm-hmm. Or are you going to try to just make everything uniform, make everything consistent and frankly, cut off all the advanced features of the cloud and just use it as the new infrastructure. Mm -hmm. And so that's what I mean when I say the cloud is the dream. The cloud is a dream because basically, or the premise of this discussion is that people just can't make use of those special cloud things. They basically just have to treat it as someone else's infrastructure. Who mm-hmm. wants to jump in first and uh, I'll, I'll jump me. in first. Okay. I'll jump in first. So I'm going to tackle one of the age-old kind of sacred cows in enterprise, people process technology. I want to change the vernacular. It should be people process product or people process problem. We're falling in love with the tech and losing sight of what is the problem we're trying to solve or what is the product we're trying to make better. Technology is the easy part. And so we get enamored with all this choice and we've turned off our brains. Meaning that we look at these um, from a tech, uh, technology glasses, you know, we're mm-hmm. kind of saying, you know, oh, look at that thing. Oh, it can do this. It can do that. You know, we're kicking the tires, but we're not saying what will this help me to achieve? Exactly. We, we find a solution and then we have a solution hunting for a problem as opposed to trying to make something better for our customers or improve something in our business. We, we're not thinking about what we really need. We're falling in love with what we want to play with and science for projects we want to experiment on. So are these just science experiments or are these real features? No, I, I definitely don't agree with that. Uh, I think uh, Kubernetes has actually abstracted a lot of the differentiation between each one of the cloud providers. They all have upstream compatible Kubernetes offerings where you can use a single API to provision in, in, in all of those clouds. And if you are upstream compatible, that sort of makes that dream into a reality, in my opinion. And a lot of people are, going, are, are moving away from, I don't think anybody's building three-tiered applications today or large monoliths. Everybody is utilizing the new technology. I don't call that a science experiment. I think I call that progress. I'm going to challenge that, though, because I had a debate earlier today around serverless. Why isn't everyone doing serverless? Mm-hmm. Developers love serverless. It scares the bejesus out of executives. Yeah. If, I, if I have bad code running in a VM, I'm bound in terms of how bad that can be. 
Mm-hmm. If I have bad code running in something like serverless, that can spin up all sorts of other different things. So I think the tech does scare a lot of the decision makers because what's best for a developer who has a choice perspective is different from an executive that's got a purview of the whole company. Mm-hmm. A lot of bad decisions can cost them their jobs. So my question is to that is why are developers making the decisions of the infrastructure on which an enterprise application runs, right? So developers will run anything on anything that runs. They'll run it on their laptops. They'll run Mm -hmm. it on Mm -hmm. whatever cloud they can get to and afford to run in dev. Then that's fine. We've all seen the memes about like, worked fine in dev. What happens when you go to production? So Mm -hmm. that's the idea. Like, why are we just leaving this to developers to decide what it should be? Why is there not... Yeah, for all the promise of DevOps, right? I almost think the cloud providers cut off us off at the knees of making this real integration where developers talk to operations people and you really decided what should happen. So what would happen if developers said, I have this app, here's how it runs, it's on Kubernetes, mm-hmm. and operations people could say, oh, from a business perspective, it has to run here, here, and here, and that's where I'm going to design it to run. What would happen then? It would be a whole different conversation than just saying the devs say this. Operations people are being left out of this conversation entirely, mm-hmm. and I don't think they should be. Oh, well, I mean, are developers really making the decision where to run your production workloads? I mean, they they need to be efficient. They need to be pro- productive, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, they're making the decision for the development environments. I mean, you have test, dev, staging, and production. And usually there is a handover over to like an SRE or site reliability engineer or, or, or operations team that makes the production decision. Mm-hmm. I don't, I think the, the decision, uh, uh, process has sort of gradually been going lower and lower and lower into, in the organization. But I still feel it's more on the development environments and not the production. I think it's both. So the grenade I'll throw in the room is that if I see a lot of cloud sprawl that tells me there's a weak central IT organization, Mm -hmm. no CIO, Mm -hmm. I'm going to go on record and say it, no CIO wants to deal with three or four major public cloud providers at the same time. If a CIO has their way, there's going to be one vendor so they have leverage and control and governance. If you've got, you know, 100 workloads in GCP and 50 workloads in Amazon and 1,000 workloads in Azure, that means the development and app teams are the ones that are kind of leading leading the organization, that means this weak central IT because they've already lost the battle in some other way. So I think that that footprint tells you who's really in power. But back to that, I think that the, you know, back to the core question, if you look at what Azure does versus what AWS does, or what GCP is good at versus what Azure is good at, those really are technical decisions. And without getting too nerdy about it, I, I think that there are valid reasons that somebody should choose this workload runs in GCP or this workload runs in AWS, where I think that you're totally right that a, a CIO or a CFO, God help us, would probably look at it totally differently. And they would say, you know, it's better if we concentrate, it's better if we use a single cloud. Their decision is blessedly not dictated by whatever technology you're using. But on the flip side of that, it means that their decision is basically arbitrary from the perspective of the developers. I don't understand uh, your point of having leverage. If you are locking yourself into a single vendor, and uh, what's your leverage? If you're using all the proprietary services that they offer and you're not abstracting anything, you don't have any leverage. Well, how are you going to move out? 
I, I disagree with that. If you're Capital One and you're on stage with Amazon every year, you're going to say, this is how you're going to change your product roadmap for me, yeah. or you're going to lose my business. But if you're not Capital One? What, what about startups? <laughs> what about the yeah. company? Well, I, I've dealt with, businesses. there are definitely customers that have leverage, especially if you're in life sciences or pharmaceuticals or healthcare. Your vertical, not just your size, determines your leverage. Mm-hmm. They're hungry for certain types of business, and so they are offering services and bending over backwards. If you're spread across you know, kind of everywhere, it's, you're not going to have as much leverage. And so again, procurement, central IT don't want to deal with multiple vendors if they don't have to. No, I understand that part. I just don't understand the leverage that you actually have. Uh, To me, you're actually letting go of your leverage by locking yourself in. So I would prefer that I could actually seamlessly move, whether it's my data or my application, seamlessly move it and have that threat, that has to be mm-hmm. more leverage than being locked in. I, I think that sounds good, but I don't see too many people actually taking advantage of that. In my opinion, most companies want multi-cloud analysis, but yeah. they want single cloud execution. They want to look at all of it so they don't have buyer's remorse, but they're not literally moving from one cloud to the other. They're really not. Workload portability is something we talked about for a long time. And we've kind of achieved the vision of it very clunkily. Very yeah. few people actually execute on that. Well, I mean, it's, it's always been an issue. I mean, you have, like, let's say, on-premise, you have OVA-formatted virtual machines. Am I getting too technical, maybe? <laughs> the, then you're moving to uh, uh, Azure or AWS. That's Hyper-V, SAN, KVM. Mm-hmm. When it was all virtual machines, that was a dream. The, 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 the workload portability was a dream back then. Mm-hmm. Kubernetes has actually made the application layer completely portable. And now there's a lot of work done being done on the data uh, uh, side as well. So now people can actually have that threat and, and seamlessly move because if you're upstream compatible, I'm basically copying a YAML configuration or a Helm chart over to the next one and I'm done. Right. So that was my question. So like, what ha- I, I think we're in this, this state now, and we have been for the last several years of the technology is kind of nascent and we haven't gotten to the point where the technology is mature. We're approaching that point where we can mm-hmm. have mm-hmm. Kubernetes that will allow us to say, well, I'm going to put it here, here, here. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, even, even current state, that's not exactly where everybody is. But as we move, as, as the technology progresses, don't you think that will change the ability for organizations to, to, like you're saying, put a stake in the ground being and say, I'll, Put it, I'll put this workload where I want to put it. Again, it sounds good. And, and as a technologist at yeah. my core, I want choice to be able to put things in different places. In reality, I just, I just don't see that happening. No. The biggest, again, another small grenade into the room. The biggest issue I see around cloud choice mm-hmm. is because of all the people who won't use Amazon, not because of the people who chose Azure GCP. If you're a Walmart, a Costco, a Sam's Club, anybody in logistics or retail, you're going to say Amazon is off the table. Yeah. I don't know. That they would say, I will die on the hill of Azure or GCP are better than Amazon or just that I won't use them because I compete with them somewhere else. That, that, really that market segment is driving a lot more cloud choice than who has the best features. That's I agree with that. There, right? um, and I've, I've literally seen it. Yeah. So, so, I mean, people are not making a decision based on technology or superiority of each mm-hmm. public cloud. It's, in a lot of sense, it's political. Absolutely. And, and, and uh, I mean, I can't comment on that because I'm, I'm a very I'm a purist when it comes yeah. to uh, uh, how the decision should be made. 
But I, I think that's a very interesting point. I want to challenge something you said, though. And again, I don't, mm-hmm. this isn't personal in no, any no, no. way. The average business person can't tell you the value of Kubernetes. Uh-huh. What does this do for me? And yeah. I think the question is, there's a buddy of mine that works at an insurance company, and I'm going to steal his phrase, is the juice worth the squeeze? Yeah. And most businesses are not convinced that, because the technologists have not done a good job of defining what Kubernetes does for the business. It gives us the possibility on paper to move stuff around, but what does that really do for me? Well, I mean, I think it's more towards uh, what microservices gives you and uh, like uh, being able to have different speed or rate of development for each one of your component. You're not working on this large monolith. So to me, it's a human, like everybody like says, well, what was that ITC report saying like, the average Fortune 500 uh, company spends 2.3% of their revenue on infrastructure. Mm-hmm. And everybody's focusing on, hey, I got to save money on infrastructure. I'll right. promise you 30% more efficiency on storage or on compute. But all of their money is spent on humans. If I, yes. if I make humans more efficient, mm-hmm. I'm saving the company way more money than I can yeah. ever achieve on infrastructure. Agree. So, so to me, Kubernetes has the promise of increasing the efficiency of your teams. There's an, there's another myth that Kubernetes, Kubernetes was not built for developers. I'm a developer. Kubernetes doesn't do anything for me. It's mm-hmm. an infrastructure play. It's orge- mm-hmm. it's an orchestration platform for containers, which is just a form of, of uh, infrastructure. Mm-hmm. It's all the additional value, the CI/CD and everything. The, the the developer never has to know he's running on Kubernetes. Mm-hmm. He's just working in the comfort of his own IDE. You know, he's just pushing code. Mm-hmm. Magic happens in the back end. I, I see a conflict though between containers and microservices, because oh, really? because when I think because when I think about what a lot of the providers are doing. Microservices are the crack that are going to get them to never leave. <laughs> they're, they're, they want to incentivize people to go faster, wider, deeper on the microservices. Mm-hmm. Kubernetes should be abstracting things away. Mm-hmm. But if you look at what the cloud providers are doing, they want you to get as deep as possible so that you never want to leave. Yeah. So I think they're in conflict in many ways. They're one or the other. And if you talk to uh, Pivotal, for example, mm-hmm. they look at containers more for what you would do for a legacy application, modernizing newer applications. They're pushing towards microservices and PCF. Mm-hmm. They don't see those as two things on the same road. They're, they're different paths. And see, that's getting back to the, my initial premise of the conversation, which is basically the whole promise of, of the cloud, meaning you know advanced features and flexibility and multi-cloud and all this kind of cloudy stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, frankly, when the rubber meets the road, a lot of that stuff evaporates and you're left with just more infrastructure. Mm-hmm. And it comes out as infrastructure, unless you're willing to dive in and basically build everything out of Amazon AWS services or Mm -hmm. something like that. Mm -hmm. I feel like um, in a way to me, it's the differentiation of the various clouds that is undermining the promise of the cloud. Am I wrong? What do you mean by differentiation of the different clouds? Well, just the advanced features. So like, okay, so we're gonna use DynamoDB, Mm -hmm. right? Well. Does that mean that we have to use AWS and for eternity? Mm. How do we get multi-cloud? Mm. How do we get the threat of multi-cloud when we've built to, you know, an Amazon service or an mm-hmm. Azure service? Mm-hmm. If we're locked in to such an extent that we can't leave, then really 
it's not flexible. It's not multi-cloud. It's not, it doesn't give us all this promise. And I feel like maybe that's the reconciliation between the, the points of view here yeah. is that a, CF, a CFO would want both the benefit of focusing on a single cloud mm-hmm. and the ability to say, forget this, I'm moving to the other guy. See, I honestly think some of this is just like the top technology is so early stages. And it really mm-hmm. is. If you think about really how long Kubernetes even has mm-hmm. been around. Mm-hmm. And it's getting to the point now, I mean, if VMware is putting it into vSphere as a control plane. Yep. It's obvious that Kubernetes is, is now, okay, Kubernetes is a thing. This is a way that you can transport um, applications from one service to another. But just even cloud services, like what would happen if the cloud services decided, okay, I'm on Amazon, I'm running this really awesome service and I have all this adoption. How do I get it to be on-prem or how do I get it to jump to another service? And that has to be in the back of these different companies' minds. I feel like all of this technology is so early stages that that we don't know what's going to happen, which is probably not good for this conversation. I think but. you, I think you nailed that part, Gina. I, I was telling someone else the other day. To me, cloud is at best a teenager that just learned how to drive. <laughs> exactly, it's got capabilities. It still needs a curfew and these boundaries. <laughs> it's going to probably knock out the mailbox. And we're looking at all these use cases that go on stages at these different conferences. And what I often tell people is, show me the receipts. Yeah. Some of these things, some of these success stories, are not long enough in the tooth to realize the pitfalls. You're still in the honeymoon phase, right? I I had a conversation earlier today. Don't tell me you wrote a marriage book when you got married last week. You don't know enough to tell me anything. And a lot of these cloud success stories, we need to to dig past the marketing fluff, double click on it and look at the receipts. What was the fallout? Just like we're spinning up and down infrastructure and services, we're spinning up and down careers. Most of us are not at companies long enough to deal with the fallout. So this person, started this initiative, but they never landed the plane. They parachuted out and they don't care if it goes down in a ball of flames. We don't really know how this stuff turns out yet. I can tell you from being a product marketer for so long in several big organizations, that's exactly true. I think it's really um, important for us as technologists to look at, you know, these use cases as they come out and really dig into them and and do, do our due diligence to understand you're telling me this is what happened, but, and then really understand mm-hmm, mm-hmm. why are you saying it this way, and what exactly does this mean, and why have you phrased it in position this way, and how real realistic is this? Because I think um, there's there's I was having a conversation earlier today. It there's a lot to say about sizzle. Mm-hmm. Sizzle in marketing mm-hmm, is a thing. Mm-hmm. Make it look make mm-hmm. it look make those drops on the coke can like drip down and make it look so good. Don't think about like how many calories are in it or really how bad mm-hmm. it is for your mm-hmm. teeth or anything mm-hmm. else. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, I mean, I, I, I can't agree with, uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> with you guys. I mean, I've done my startups. I've, 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 always, I've been born in the cloud since in, uh, basically since it came about. Mm-hmm. I mean, we started utilizing cloud services in 2009 mm-hmm. uh, and I've built very successful companies based on cloud. Mm-hmm. So, of course, there has been pitfalls. And I mean, everybody has their tragic story and what happened, EBS volumes magically disappear. And, mm-hmm. But I mean, you, you built around it. Yeah. I mean, you know, you know how, how, I mean, if you are a true cloud person that you want to take advantage of it and you mm-hmm. see the value in it, 
you know how to build around those pitfalls. So, I mean, like, are you saying that Netflix, for example, isn't a true cloud success story? I mean, th there are a lot of cloud success stories. I mean, to me, yeah. it's like, like, uh, like, how can we still be skeptical on the cloud concept? Mm -hmm. so I, I mean, I, I don't understand that. I don't think it's us being skeptical of the cloud concept because I'm not yeah. at all. Mm -hmm. okay. And I don't think that, it, I, I think, I don't think that's what it is. It behooves everybody, no matter what kind of information comes in front of your face, mm -hmm. to look at it and say, why did they pick that person and why are they saying that and what's the reality around it? That's all I'm saying. Yeah, I mean, I'm, of course, there is marketing spiel all yeah, exactly, over the place, exactly. whether it's on premise, fear mongering, compliance issue, security. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cloud doesn't sort of uh, alleviate any of that. Mm -hmm. You still have to run its infrastructure. I mean, mm -hmm. you, uh, even though you're using services, you have to design and you have to, you, I mean, for example, I, I think uh, a lot of people that think that they no, no longer need help of professional managed services companies mm -hmm. are sorely mistaken. Mm -hmm. they, you still have to do all of that in, in the cloud. Those who actually go into the cloud thinking that's all taken care of for them are delusional. So you, you, made a, you made a big point that I think is interesting. Those born in the cloud versus those going to the cloud. Right, yeah. a Netflix is very different than a Bank of America. The uh, technical debt of a company, and, and that's where I think the cloud, the cloud has not reached its full maturity. Mm -hmm. The big enterprises, the banks, the insurance companies, the healthcare companies, we can't take grandma's sticker in an Uber and put her on Instagram tomorrow. <laughs> that's what we're doing. We're throwing these cool tools at people with technical debt <laughs> yeah. that are long in the tooth, and that's different than a cool kid like a Netflix that was born in the cloud. They're two mm -hmm. very different paradigms. We've got to cater to. The season, I'm from Charlotte, yeah. so I say season, not old. Mm -hmm. We got to cater to the season companies, not just the cool kids. Absolutely. So I, I hate to jump in here, but we're running a little <laughs> bit long. And unfortunately, I don't think we're going to resolve this. Hmm. Um, my question for you, just in summary, I'm going to give each of you a chance to answer this or at least ponder this for a moment. Um, so is this thing a dream? Or is this thing achievable? Now, I'm not trying to say a dream, again, I'm not trying to say the cloud doesn't exist. I'm trying to say that the promise of the cloud may be un not attainable by the majority of, of enterprise users for, for a variety of reasons, not the least of which is this idea of multi-cloud and cloud as a platform and are advanced services actually usable and are these things you know mature enough and so on. So the question is, is this a dream or is this achievable? So I'm actually going to start down here at the end okay. and give you a chance to answer first and then we'll come to you okay. last. Okay, don't see. So here we go. I think the cloud is achievable, but I think it starts with communication and expectation. So here's my analogy. The cloud can cook whatever we want for dinner, but we need to agree on what we want to eat. Mm -hmm. Right. I want cow. You want fish. You're vegan. That's what we're fighting about. That's not the cloud's fault. We need to have a conversation. That's really where I think we're falling short is we think the cloud is a magic bullet to solve us working out our differences and what success and better really looks like. So I think we can get there, but we need to talk a lot more first. I think it boils down to understanding what your application needs are and your work life needs are and where they need to go. Because sometimes that means on-prem, it means a cloud, it means being able to have the flexibility to do it all. And I do believe that that is possible, but I believe it requires um, communication between the dev team and the ops team mm. and the executive team and not buying into 
the hype the vendor marketers are going to do because that's their job too. So, I mean, I, I think it's actually not only a, a achievable, I think it's a reality. And, uh, uh, but that, to your point, it doesn't alleviate us communicating and figuring out and designing and all the sort of design principles. Mm-hmm. They still apply in the cloud. Mm-hmm. So people need to think. To me, it's, it's a real thing. It's extremely valuable for somebody that's doing product development, being able to tap into the innovation that is happening there. There's no way I can comp- go and compete with the machine learning or deep learning algorithms of Google. I want to tap into that and mm. apply that to my application. Nobody's going to the cloud based on cost. Everybody's going in there to stay competitive. That's mm. my that's mm. that's my sort of uh, answer to this. It's real. It's here. It's here to stay, and it's awesome. Mm. Well, it's here. It's real. It's here. <laughs> it's here to stay, and it's awesome. <laughs> Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you for listening to the On-Premise IT Roundtable podcast. If you enjoyed this discussion, remember to subscribe, rate, and review the show on iTunes since that really helps us. And please do share this show with your friends. If you have questions or comments about the show, you can find us on Twitter at On-Premise IT or at Gestalt IT. This podcast was brought to you by GestaltIT.com, your home for IT coverage from across the enterprise. For show notes and more episodes, go to GestaltIT.com slash podcast. Thanks, and we'll see you next time.